Welcome back to another episode of the Sunday Stash. This is episode seven, so going seven weeks strong here. I don't upload every single Sunday, but I'm trying to get to it. Um, so in, in, in this episode, um, I, I try to, well, this episode and all episodes, I, I try to approach all of these topics with an objective view and, and try not to put my my own personal beliefs in there. Um, I will put a few of my my own personal beliefs in, in this episode, um, only because I think that it's it's somewhat relevant. Um, so I, I try to l- take a look at the stats and everything before I I actually make a decision about something. But um, you know, I, it's it's hard to sometimes. And um, anyway, I'll, I'll I'll put my opinion in later on with uh with what i'm talking about um okay with the election uh the actual election day in in the past i I would like to actually take a look at the the breakdown of the election um not the uh not the breakdown of the states and all that kind of stuff because it's still up in the air um i mean realistically uh joe biden is likely going to end up winning um he has so much of a lead in all of the all the states that are contended that it's not likely going to change much. Um, I, I know that Trump right now has got some lawsuits going and he's trying to contend with everything, but realistically, I, I just don't see it changing much. Um, I will say that, you know, the, the, the crazy thing is, is that now the last I checked, it was about 75 million votes for Biden and about 70 million votes for Trump. And so there's a 5 million uh, person difference. And realistically, if you if you throw California out, the rest of the country is fairly split down the middle when it comes to the voting. So it, it's pretty wild to to look at that and, and think that, you know, half of the country, you know, likes Trump and half of the, half of the country realistically doesn't like Trump. Um, I don't really think that they voted for Biden. I think they voted for not Trump. Uh, personally, uh, that's me. Um, so that's what it is. So anyway, uh, what I wanted to talk about was the actual breakdown of like counties and stuff like that. So if you if you look at the, the ele- not electoral map, but if you look at the at the county breakdown, right throughout the country, you see um, just little pockets of blue. You know, the, the the big thing's red. Most people say you know people vote, uh, land doesn't. Um, you know, but you know that land, there's people that live out there, right? Um, and, and realistically, there's people that live in the cities, you know, high population areas. They, lots of people live there, um, you know, and, and they try to keep it, I guess, um, somewhat uh, equal in, in each district so that there, aren't, there isn't like one district in a city that has you know, 5 million people in it and then another district in the rural area that has 20 people in it. And now that area of, have, of 20 people basically gets one single vote in the uh, um, in in the election. Uh, that's why I think that's one of the reasons why you see really really large counties out in in very rural areas, and then you see very small counties uh, surrounding the cities. So, but really, before um, I I get into it too much, um, I, I do want to start off with I have two questions um, that I, I plan on answering later on, but I'm I'm going to get there eventually. Uh, the first question is. Um, you know, could you name the county in the U.S. that has the highest median income? Uh, that, that's question number one. And then my uh, not second question, but in addition to that, 
could you name any that are in the top 10? Uh, I think if you, if you don't Google it or, or search it or anything like that, I think that the answers will surprise you. Maybe they won't, maybe they will. Um, it's probably not what you think. Um, my second question is, in, in, so we're talking about the, the split between uh, you know, cities and, and rural areas, right? My question is, is, who is actually hurt by the split between the cities and the rural counties? Um, and I, I'll get to the answers to those, those questions here in a little bit. All right, so if you take a look at the, the map of the past few elections, you'll see that the, the counties, in, uh, counties and cities um, are different. Uh, you know, you see little pockets of blue all over the country, and, and usually those are the cities. So you got New York, um, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Chicago, um, Los Angeles, San Francisco, um, Atlanta, um, Miami, uh, Dallas, um, let's see what, uh, Houston, uh, you have cities, right? The, the cities inside of the, all of these states are, you know, usually blue. And then the rural areas typically end up red. But I, I've personally, I've always had the question of wondering, why is that? What's, what's going on in a city that makes those people vote a particular way? Why are they always blue? And why are rural areas always red? Red. Um, I, I've wondered that question, and I don't, I don't necessarily have the answers, um, but I do have some um, statistics that I'll, I'll cover in a little bit that are, you know, they're kind of weird, and it, and it kind of, at least in my opinion, it makes me makes me think a little bit about, you know, a little bit more about why these things are that way. Now, you know, obviously you see these cities and stuff like that that are blue. And then every once in a while you'll, you'll see a little pocket of blue somewhere, and it's like, well, there's no city there. Um, typically what you end up seeing is that you know, if, you, if you search it and, and everything in that county, you'll find that there's like a college or a university in, in that area. Um, so it, it's just kind of weird in that regard. Um, so but anyway, you know, why is it? Why, why do the, the Democrats pick the cities and Republicans choose the rural areas. Um, so I want to go over some, like, I guess, characteristics of, of cities and, and rural areas that could possibly um, answer the question a little bit. Um, so in cities, you know, typically you're closer together. Uh, you have access to those public services, things like transportation, um, you know, the bus, you have the city bus um, or a metro. Um, you also get school buses as well in the city. I think rural areas typically get school buses as well. Uh, they just have to cover a much larger area. Um, and you know, some some metro areas, they'll have that metro or they'll have trains. They have access to those trains, those services and stuff like that. Um, then you also have emergency services. So the police, um, the fire department and stuff like that. Um, then utilities. Uh, so city, cities usually end up having maybe some municipal uh, water supply that feeds uh, all the houses in the city. Um, then you also have sewage. Uh, typically cities, you flush the toilet, it goes into uh, the sewage and then eventually goes to a sewage treatment plant. Um, and then you have trash, trash services. Um, a lot of a lot of cities slash like suburbs and stuff. Uh, somebody will come around and, and pick your trash up for you, which is you know it's pretty cool pretty cool thing to to have happen. Um, it doesn't work that way in the in the rural areas, but 
it's it's pretty cool. Um, so then, you know, some other characteristics, uh, you know, cities usually have much larger buildings. Um, they're taller, uh, you know, where people live. People are going to be living in apartment buildings and stuff like that. I mean, you know, you look at New York City, you look at Chicago, you look at Los Angeles. Um, these large cities they have huge buildings, huge apartment buildings, places, low-income housing and all that kind of stuff, places for people to live. You know, jobs, typically they're non-agricultural jobs. Um, that's going to be people that work in the news, um, you know, restaurant workers. You're going to have lawyers and doctors, um, some salesmen. Um, and then yeah, I'd say you also have some trade workers, right? You have some construction workers, um, some, you know, some plumbers, uh, some HVAC guys, some electricians and stuff like that. Um, so then rural areas, right? People live much further apart from each other. Um, you know, sometimes you end up having to walk uh, a mile or you have to go a mile or you have to, you know, you can't even see, you walk outside and you can't even see your neighbor's house. Um, you know, that's rural areas. Those are fairly rural um, suburbs aren't necessarily that way. Um, suburbs can, can also be closer together, but it takes, it takes a little bit longer to get to things, things like Walmart or something like that to get food. Um, you know, so, but I'm, when I'm talking rural areas, usually I'm, I'm speaking in the, in, in regard to, uh, you know, things that are fairly rural. Um, so, you know, these people, they have less reliance on the public service. You know, you don't have a Metro, right? You know, the Metro isn't going, all the way, you know, it isn't going 20 miles away from the city. Um, you know, the buses, the buses aren't going out that far. You know, you may end up, you might not have to walk out of your house. If you live in the city, you walk out of your house and or your apartment building and you might have a bus stop within two blocks, whereas it doesn't work that way in a, a very rural area. Um, you, have, you have fewer buildings. Um, a lot of the times there's fewer buildings. It can be, you know, broken down and stuff. Like, I remember driving through some rural parts of Virginia, and you see some of the buildings that have just completely, like, side of the building, half of the building has fallen down, and it's just sitting there, and no one's done anything with it. And it's obvious that it's just been sitting there for a while because no one's touched it. Um, you know, sometimes the, the cost of, of goods are, are typically are higher out in rural areas because there's just, it's not as easy to get them there. Uh, there's less people, so the cost to transport things there are going to be slightly higher. Um, you have less police. There's n not as many police in a rural county. Um, you know, there's also not really as much crime. You know, less people equals more cri uh, less crime. I mean, um, you know, a fire department and EMS services uh, typically end up being um, volunteer based. Um, so they're not they're not paid. I know um, you know typically cities Dallas uh, in the Dallas area you you get a lot of uh, a lot of those people make they make decent money. Uh, this is taxpayer money and stuff, but they make decent money to be a firefighter in in Dallas. Um, some of the commonalities between uh, these cities and rural areas, uh, obviously education. Um, everybody has access to the public school system in in rural areas as well as cities. Um, I guess the, the argument could be made that rural areas are better or or not. I'm not really sure. Um, currently, I don't go to any public school and haven't gone to a public school in like 15 years. So it's been quite some time for me. Um, you know, but with things like the, the No Child Left Behind, uh, they had SOL, the standards and learning, the, the tests, um, you know, and, and then 
the American public school system is an absolute nightmare. Um, it's just not very good. Uh, it, I, I do believe that it needs to be um, a little bit better funded than it more a lot more than what it is right now. Um, you know, and maybe they should change some of the curriculum and, and teach. I think, honestly, in my opinion, they should teach some things like finance. That way, when when kids get out, they don't immediately just enter into just massive massive debt and and go get credit cards and and you know and then find themselves in a uh, significantly worse situation than when they came, you know, than they would have been if they had learned something about finances. So they definitely should change some things about the education system. But that is one commonality between rural areas and um, the cities. Um, everybody typically has electricity. Um, so rural areas sometimes do not. Um, for the most part, I think that they do. But if you're really, really far out, um, electricity isn't going to make its way there. Um, usually, rural areas and cities have access to the court system. You know, obviously, a much larger court system in a city, but typically they're both going to have it. Um, you know, in a, in a very, very small town, you're going to have maybe one lawyer or a judge or something like that. There's not going to be many people that are in that particular city or county, I mean, or rural area, or I should say town. Um, you know, mail. Everybody has access to the mail, um, which. You know, it costs the same amount of money to deliver a piece of mail to the middle of nowhere in Wyoming as it does to New York City. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why the mail system operates on a loss. And that is a government service that is that way because it's a government service. Everybody gets it. Um, everybody has access to the infrastructure, you know, the road system and all that kind of stuff. Now, with that being said, I think the infrastructure is more, fo more focused towards the cities, though. So you never, you know, it's not really... But there's, not, there's a lot less people driving on the roads out in, in rural areas, so you don't really end up having a lot of issues with roads out in rural areas, roads and bridges. Um, and another thing is uh, internet phone and TV services. Um, it, with that being a service that usually is provided by a, a company, not a government service, um, people do have access to it. Um, but you know, you, usually maybe you have to pay a little bit more, or it's just not going to be very good. Um, so usually, you know, services like that are going to be good in the city and maybe not as good in a rural area. So one difference. Uh, is, anyway, I think it's a, a fundamental different way of thinking. Uh, people in the cities are more dependent on government services, while rural areas are more dependent on themselves to do things. Um, a lot of this goes back to industrialization, where it's cheaper to open up a factory near a port um, so that you can easily ship goods out and everything. And, and what would happen is is that those factories would attract people for the jobs as opposed to having them out in a rural area. So people would live in the city and they would live close to uh, the factory, which was not close to a port. So you have things like um, Chicago, um, New York, uh, Norfolk, um, Baltimore, um, you know, San Francisco, there's a, there's a Bay Area out there. Um, San Diego's the same way. Um, you know, southern, uh, in the, uh, the Gulf of Mexico, a lot of those cities down there, um, you know, they, they, you know, congregated towards port areas. So anyway, uh, so a lot of those people that, that work in the factories and everything like that, you know, they work in the factory, and then you have other people who are out managing the other parts of life, you know, things like water, sewage, trash, 
uh, transportation of food and all that kind of stuff, transportation of those people to and from work. You know, so that that idea of a a collective, um, you know, a, col- a collective effort to live is, is what cities have been have developed. Right. So, if it, you know, at the end of the day, the the cities, uh, city people don't understand the the country folk and the country folk don't understand the the city people they live they live different lives and you know that's one of the things you have you have people out in a rural area who believe a certain way and they vote for representatives in a certain way right and then you have people in the city who believe a completely maybe not completely different but they believe a different thing and they vote a certain way you know each city and county has its own local representatives um, and can make their own choices for a lot of things but on a state and federal level you know those those differences end up mattering right um you know the fact that the people in virginia beach can have a profound impact on the way that people in Galax live is crazy, at least in my opinion. Um, and this can be seen on a federal level as well with what we have as, as far as, uh, you know, Massachusetts should not have an, uh, a, a say in what's legal in Wyoming. Or they shouldn't be able to decide what's legal in Wyoming. You know, Massachusetts, I'm not sure on the numbers of population, but they've got far more many people than Wyoming. I think Wyoming is about 500,000 people. So, you know, if we, you know, they, they fundamentally believe and live different lives. So understanding that is a big thing that, you know, cities and rural areas are very, very different. Um, so my point of all this is to talk about the idea that cities and uh, rural areas are, they have different beliefs. Uh, they rely on different things. Right? Guns are not necessarily an issue in rural areas. Um, they don't really get access to those services that the, the cities have, like water services or water treatment plant for the sewage. You know, ultimately, I think it's something people just don't understand. You know, each area serves its purpose. You know, cities and rural areas are, are both great places. I've personally lived in both. I, I grew up initially in a city, and then uh, I moved out to a rural area when I was about 10 years old, and then uh, four or five years after that, we moved back to the city. So I, I kind of have an idea of, of what both are, are like. Um, you know, in each, each location provides something to our society that the other can't. Um, you know, if it were not for the rural areas, uh, people in the city couldn't do the things that city people do. Um, you know, they wouldn't have uh, the cheaper gas. Uh, they wouldn't have cheaper food. Um, you know, rural areas are there for, for things like farming. Uh, they typically do a lot of the dirty work that cities don't and then ship things to the cities and make the money. Um, I don't, I know that uh, people would have an issue with a chicken farm being near their suburban home. You know, they smell bad. Uh, the same goes for cows or really any other animal. You know, people don't want those near them. They're not going to put those in a city. Um, you know, 
people don't want to see how the bacon's made. They just want the bacon to be on the shelf at the store. You know, in, in understanding a concept like that, you, you know, you kind of understand why these people in the cities believe different things than these people in the rural areas. Um, the, the difference between people, these differences between people, uh, brings me to my, my next topic. And um, I'll talk about the, the fact that cities are growing and they're spilling out into the rural areas. Um, and, and what's happening is that cha- that is changing the way that states are voting. Um, so the first one, I w- the main one I want to talk about is Washington, D.C. Right. It's a fairly large city with a metro area that's very busy all the time. There's lots of people that live in the area. And realistically, I think a lot of those people end up working in government. So how does D.C. typically vote? So I went, I went online. This is Wikipedia. So take it as you will. Uh, you can't use it as a scholarly, a scholarly article, but it, I think it gets the idea there, right? So in 1992, Clinton got 85% of the vote, and George H.W. Bush got 9% of the vote in, wa- in, the, in Washington, D.C. Uh, 96, Clinton got 85, and Dole got, I think it's Bob Dole, got 9%. Stayed roughly the same. 2000, Al Gore, he got 85, and Bush got 9%. That's uh, George Bush, the son. Uh, 2004, the incumbent was George Bush. He, uh, Kerry, got 89% of the vote, and George Bush got 9% of the vote. Um, In 2008, Obama got 92% of the vote, and John McCain got 7%. In 2012, Obama had 91%, and Mitt Romney had 7%, so it stayed roughly the same. Um, In 2016, um, it reduced a little bit with Hillary Clinton getting 9%, but then Trump only was able to get 4% of the vote. Then in this year, in this election, uh, the numbers aren't official yet, but Joe Biden got 93% of the vote in Washington, D.C., and Trump got 5%. So the, the, the disparity between those numbers is 307,000 people and 18,000, roughly 18,000 for Trump. Um, you know, and the numbers over time in Washington, D.C. have kind of grown. Um, and grown more and more people are voting for the Democrats. So now with that being said, you know, a lot of the people that work in the city like work inside of D.C., they have the same political belief as the people that live in D.C. So the people that work there, a lot of them don't live in the city. What they've done is they've moved out into the suburbs and into the more rural areas of Virginia and Maryland, which have changed the ways that those states have voted. Um, Personally, right now, I'm going to speak on the state of Virginia because... I am much more familiar with Virginia since that's where I'm from. And realistically, Virginia has recently changed in the last year to two years, whereas Maryland, I think, has been a um, blue state for quite some time. So uh, in my opinion, uh, Virginia will continue to become more and more blue, more and more to the left as time goes, because the people in northern Virginia, Richmond, 
and Hampton Roads. Um, and that really can be seen with the fact that here recently, I think it was the 2019 or 2018 election, the state Senate and the House of Delegates flipped. Right? So in the state Senate, there were two seats that flipped, uh, District 13, which is Loudoun County, and Prince William County. Those are all Northern Virginia, right outside of D.C. And then, then we have District 10, which is Richmond City, and Powhatan County, which is right outside of Richmond. Um, and then in the House of Delegates, there is District 28, which is Stafford County and Fredericksburg. That's Northern Virginia. District 40, which is Fairfax and Prince William County, which is also Northern Virginia. Then you've got District 76, which is Suffolk and Portsmouth. So that's the Hampton Roads, Virginia, Virginia Beach, the Hampton Roads area. Um, then District 83, which is Norfolk and Virginia Beach. Then you have District 91, which is Hampton and York County, which is a little bit, it's kind of in between Hampton Roads and um, uh, Richmond. And then you have District 94, which is Newport News. So basically, Northern Virginia, Richmond, and um, the Hampton Roads area. So that brings me to this next uh, thing. I got uh, a lot of this information from a website called ballotpedia.org. Um, so this is a statement from one of their uh, one of the the pages that they've got. It, it's just, um, I guess like a reporting data. Um, so personally, I'm actually I'm interested to see what the 2020 census brings. Because um, looking at this, um, you know, that what they had on their website was Virginia received its local census data in, uh, on February 3rd, 2011. The state grew by 13% from 2000 to 2010. It's mostly occurred in the northern part of the state, while declines ranging up to 13.4% occurred in counties along the southern and western edges. Um, Loudoun County stood out as a... Uh, with an 84.1% increase. Uh, growth in the largest cities was less impressive, but still robust in most areas. Now, 84% is huge. Um, and, and what they consider less impressive is Virginia Beach grew by 3%, Norfolk grew by 3.6%, Chesapeake grew by 11.6%, and Richmond grew by 3.2%, um, and then Newport News grew by 0.3%. Um, now, with all that being said, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Chesapeake, and Newport News are all roughly in the same area. It's an area of Virginia called, the, I guess it's the Seven Cities. So you've got Newport News, Hampton. Those are north of the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel. So you got those two. Um, then you've got Norfolk, uh, Portsmouth, Suffolk, Virginia Beach, and Chesapeake. Um, and a, a lot of people are starting to move their way out into Chesapeake, as shown by the fact that Chesapeake grew by 11.6%. Um, so Norfolk itself is becoming slightly overcrowded, and people are spilling out into the Chesapeake area because that's a more rural area. Um, so with the, the state uh, Senate and the House flipping in, in that election, um, you know, one of the things that was able to happen was the now what happens is the Democrats control the the, the governor, which is Ralph Northam. Uh, they control the the state house, or the state senate, and the house. Um, so basically, they can as long as people vote party lines, they can essentially do 
whatever they want. Um, and one of the things that uh, Ralph Northam had tried to push was gun control. Now, there is some something to be, you know, there's some still time uh, for him to be able to, to do that. But we'll see what happens. Um, when he first started talking about gun control, he mentioned it, and then he was met with a lot of protesters coming out to tell him that they do not, they do not want him to do this, right? So now, if you if you think about it, when you look at these counties, you know, Northern Virginia, Richmond, and Newport News, those aren't the people that are coming out and supporting. The, you know, those aren't the people who want their guns, right? Who want guns? It's the western part of the state, right? These are people that fundamentally live and believe different things. You know, they they hunt out there. You know, you don't you don't go out with a a rifle in Powhatan, Virginia, and, and go hunting. Um, you just you just don't, there's no space for it. You don't do it in Loudoun County. Um, it's just not the way that it works. Um, so a lot of those people, you know, that the gun control thing was a was one one thing in a in a large list of, of things that you know the cities believe that the rural areas don't. Um, you know, seeing those changes in the state, uh, the people in Northern Virginia, they don't really live the same life as the people in in Western Virginia. Um, it's kind of a state that's split. Um, and now I'll kind of go back to my question from earlier. You know, what county in the U.S. has the highest median household income? Right? If anybody was able to guess Loudoun County, Virginia, then you were right. Their median income is $134,000 a year. So I'm going to cover the top 10 here. So number one, obviously, Loudoun County. Number two, Howard County, Maryland at 120000 that's a uh, that's just north of DC. You have Fairfax County, Virginia, which is one hundred fifteen thousand um, median income. I ju- I have just the numbers for the the top three, um, but three of them, three of them right outside of Washington DC. Those are suburbs of Washington DC. Right now, then number four is Hunterton County, New Jersey. Uh, five is Santa Clara County, California. Six is Arlington, Virginia, which is also Northern Virginia. Um, right out, that's literally right outside of DC. Um, Seven's Douglas County, Colorado. Um, I looked it up to see what w- what was in Douglas County, and I couldn't figure out what what it was that made Douglas County so, um, you know, income and stuff so high. Uh, number eight, San Mateo County, California. Number number nine, uh, Morris County, New Jersey. And then uh, number ten is William County, Tennessee. So I think William County is is uh, Nashville, um, Morris County, New Jersey, and Hunterton, New Jersey. I think are probably um, somewhere near uh, New York. I would imagine those are probably New York, where people moved out of the city. Uh, San Mateo and Santa Clara; those are both, uh, I think, in San Francisco. So it's like tech companies and stuff like that where they pay all their people a whole bunch. Now, if you look at those, right? So that's um, that's the top ten. Now, number seventeen, Montgomery County, Maryland. Number eighteen, Calvert County, Maryland. Number 19, Prince William County, Virginia. Northern Virginia. That's Northern Virginia. Um, number 20, Stafford County, Virginia. Uh, 22 is Anne Arundel County, Maryland. And 23 is Charles County, Maryland, which 
you know, the, the, so that in the top 25, it goes, so that's 23 and number and number 23 is $95,000 a year. That's the median, the median income of, of those, of those counties. All right. So there's, there's 10, 10 out of the top 25 are all suburbs of Washington, DC. You know, it's pretty crazy. Um, you know, if any, any if any of those counties were in Western Virginia, I could definitely understand making the case that they're equal, uh, but they aren't. You know, the, the the closest county up there is Albemarle County, and and their their median income is eighty nine thousand dollars a year, but that's where UVA is. So there's the UVA hospital, uh, the law school. There's a whole bunch of stuff there that it's you know UVA is. It's a large, large public university. So I don't think that uh, Albemarle County is a good representation. All right, and then if you continue on down the list, uh, Roanoke County is the closest after all of that at a $75,000 median income. Um, you know, And even if you adjust all of these numbers and you go with per capita, the numbers are still somewhat similar. You know, the counties in Northern Virginia and Maryland surrounding D.C. are all up there. If you go with that, it actually, the per capita changes to, I think, New York City is the, the highest per capita in the United States. But then I think second is um, Falls Church, which is right outside of Washington, D.C. Um, so we see these huge differences. Um I tend to think that the cities vote blue because the people see the benefits of those government services and they continue to vote blue because they want the, the services to grow, especially in Northern Virginia. A lot of those people work in government in D.C. and they have a, a vested interest in having all of that stuff grow and become much, much larger. They want big government. You because know, it means more money for them. You know, rural areas tend to vote red, um, and I think it's because they don't really like the progressive ideas, and some of those industries um, that are on the agenda, some of their industries are on the agenda to be taken away. Things like fossil fuels, um, that's a big one. Um, you know, and rural areas tend to want to be left alone. You know, they love their guns, and they love their religion, um, you know, the, 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 the common joke is that they're uneducated and they're Bible-toting rednecks. Um, you know, and, and I'm not going to necessarily say that that's 100% false because a lot of the people that live in the rural areas, they're very traditional um, and they vote that way. Um, you know, so they want things to stay the same and they don't want their taxes to be increased and they don't want their tax dollars going to some government program that they're not going to end up seeing any benefits from. Um, but it seems as though things haven't really changed much in the cities that have historically voted blue. Um, some people may be doing better in those cities, but there's one section of the population that's doing poorly in many large cities across the country. Um, you know, And there is 
somewhat of a difference between the blue states and the red states. But you know, this brings me back to the question I had from earlier. What section of the population really is hurt by this split? Which section of the population is being hurt by the cities always voting blue? Right Now, I pulled this information from a website called datausa.io. Um, I don't know if it's on the same level as Wikipedia, if, some, if people can change it or anything like that. But this data, it seems like it's probably fairly accurate to me. Um, you know, since I was talking about Washington, D.C. earlier, um, I will cover Washington first and the surrounding areas. So, you know, these Washington, D.C. has historically voted uh, Democrat. Since, at least since 1992, from what I was covering earlier, they've been heavily Democrat. So, you know, these numbers, so Washington, D.C., 44% of the population is black, but they make up 66% of the population in poverty. I mean, it's the black community, I think, that's hurt most by by these policies, or that it has not helped, which is the confusing thing because the black community is being told that they basically have to vote a certain way. All right, so that's just Washington, D.C. Baltimore City, 61% black. They make up 71% of the population in poverty. Baltimore County, 28% black, but they make up 31% of the population in poverty. Richmond, Virginia, 47% black. 60% of the population in poverty. Norfolk, Virginia, 40% black. 56% of the population in poverty. Arlington, Virginia, 8% black. That's right outside of D.C. 8% black, 15% of the population in poverty. Dallas, Texas, 24% black, 22% of the population. That one's good. Austin, Texas, 8% black, 8% of the population in poverty. Houston, Texas, 22% black, 17% of the population in poverty. Chicago, Illinois, 29% black, 36% of the population in poverty. Detroit, Michigan, 77% black, 72% of the population in poverty. Flint, Michigan, 19% black, 36% of the population in poverty. Miami, Florida, 13% black, and they make up 15% of the population in poverty. Atlanta, Georgia, 50% black, 73% of the population in poverty. Seattle, Washington, 7% black, they make up 16% of the population in poverty. And then Chester, Pennsylvania, 33% black, and they make up 46% of the population in poverty. That's 16 different cities that I've mentioned, and four of those 16 have a have less of a population, you know, have a have a um, a smaller percent of the population in poverty than than there are percent of the population of black people. So realistically, you know, please tell me more about how Democrats care about black people, right? Joe Biden, in a interview with. Uh, 
the Breakfast Club comes out and says, if you don't have, if you have any reason whether or not, you, you know, if you have any question whether you're not for me or not, well, you ain't black. You have an old white guy telling you that you're not black, who's been a Democrat for the last 50 years. And I just listed off cities, 16 cities, every single one of them historically, historically voting Democrat. And only four cities have black people doing well. I mean, as in my my opinion, the, you know, the numbers kind of speak for speak for themselves. Um, you know, these cities are a stronghold for the Democrats and have a higher percentage of black people in poverty than they take up of the whole population. You know, and the states are actually roughly the same. Um, I'm not saying that that things are going to be would be any different if these cities were started started to vote for um, Republicans. Um, I honestly, I, I think that likely nothing would change. Um, but I think it, it really kind of fits the definition of insanity. You know, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. You know, those outliers were Texas and, you know, three cities in Texas and then uh, Detroit. And Detroit is 70, it's one of the most heavily populated black cities in the country. So I kind of understand why 70, 72% um, of the population is in poverty as opposed to, um, you know, 80% or 90%. Um, you know, these states as a whole, Virginia, 18% black, 28% of the poverty, of the people in poverty are black. Um, or the black people take up 28% of, uh, the, the people in poverty, Maryland, 29% black, 37% of the people in poverty, Texas, 12% black, 10% poverty. Florida, 15% black, 19% in poverty. 19% of poverty. Uh, Michigan, 13% black, 25% of poverty. Illinois, 13% black, 23% of poverty. Washington State, uh, 4% black and 6% in poverty is a very small percentage of Washington's population is African-American. Um, Georgia, 31% black, 39% in poverty. And then Pennsylvania, 10% black, 19% in poverty. You know, so some of those states are blue states. You know, Virginia's a blue state. Uh, Maryland's a blue state. Florida's a red state. Texas is a red state. Uh, Michigan's kind of a battle battleground state. In this last election, it went for, it went for Trump. Um, but I think in this 2020, it's going to end up going for Biden. So it's just, you know, looking at those numbers, looking at the stats and stuff, I really do believe that, you know, something does fundamentally need to be changed um, about the way that we're the way that we're doing this stuff. Right. And we, it's not an accurate representation of the population. Right. It, you, you in no way should 66 percent of the people in poverty in Washington, D.C. come from 44 percent of the population. Right, so you have something that is disproportionately affecting one group, right? Um, you know, in my research, I did notice that in most of the cities, income is predominantly less than about $50,000. And in the 2016 exit polls, people earning about 50000 
um, or less went for Clinton. And then anybody making above that typically went for Trump. Um, now, that did shift in this 2020 election, and now the people making under 100000 went for uh, Biden, and anybody making over 100000 typically went for Trump. And it's obviously they just don't want to see their taxes increase, which is a totally an understandable thing. Um, you don't want to pay more money into a government that you're probably going to spend your money, your tax dollars, in a bad way. Um so you know, instead of taking what these politicians say and, and tell us and then moving on, you know, we should hold them to their word. You know, instead, they, you know, they're just going to grandstand on CNN and hearings, not CNN, but C-SPAN, and, and hearings acting like they give a shit about the working man. Um, I've watched a bunch of Senate hearings, and usually that's all you get is you get they, they, they pick party lines, and then they argue opposite sides of the argument and grandstand. That's really about it. None of them really give anybody, you know, none of them really give me a feeling that they actually care. Um, one good thing I will say is I don't like a lot of AOC's policies, but I like the way that she goes hard at some of these people when she's questioning them in, in uh, Congress. Um, you know, a, a lot of these politicians are detached from reality because they make so much goddamn money that they don't see it, you know, and that's one thing that you can tell based on the fact that 10 out of the top 25 counties are surrounding Washington, D.C., right? There's something wrong. There's something fundamentally wrong about that. Shouldn't things be spread out a little bit more? So, anyway, in, in closing, as the metro areas continue to grow across the country, they will start to take over the more rural areas. As these populations grow and the number of voters continue to increase, what is likely to happen is states that are red or Republican will likely start to turn blue or Democrat. Take Texas, for example. Right now, the Democrat population centers of Dallas, San Antonio, Houston, Austin are not high enough to overpower the rest of the state's Republican voters located in the rural areas. But as populations grow and people leave places like California and New York for states where the cost of living is a lot lower, like Texas, the balance will shift. Um, I don't know exactly when that will happen, but I think that it will. Um, Texas is just an example of the many states out there that are likely going to see issues with cities expanding and changing the way that cities vote or states vote. Um, while all of this happens, I hope that the voters in these states, in these cities, remember that the farmers and the oil workers and the tradesmen that live and work in these rural areas operate and they live on a fundamentally different way of life than the cities. And they don't have access to the same services that the metro areas do. 
um, we can't create a one-size-fits-all model and implement that in every county and every city of the country. Um, you know, there are some things that should be left up to the federal government, the state government, and the local governments, as we have seen in this COVID pandemic with the governors. You know, they have a purpose. They're not just figureheads there to be a governor. They're there for an actual reason. You know, Trump can't make all the decisions for Texas and New York, and he doesn't hold all the blame for all of those states either. You know, maybe we should take a hard look at the people that we're electing and wonder why they can't seem to work together. Um, Congress and the Senate is like daycare when you only have enough to- toys for half of the children. You know, things aren't going to work, work out so well. We need to get away from this idea that one person rules the U.S. Give power back to the people and stop relying so heavily on one person to solve all the problems. The president isn't going to solve all of our problems. The president will likely only create more. If not for you, definitely for your children. All right, and that's pretty much all I got. Uh, for anybody listening on YouTube, um, you know, leave me a comment. Um, you know, what do you think about the the split between uh, red and blue states? And you know, where's it all going? Is it is it going to keep going and cities spread out? Or is it going to be, um, you know, is it going to kind of be split 50-50 the way we are now? Uh, my dad used to always tell me, a, a, you know, he used to always just saying, you know, everybody's a Democrat until they start paying taxes. Um, you know, so as, as people get older in age, are they going to start changing the ways that they vote? Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to, to see what any, everybody else thinks. Um, so that's all I got for today. Uh, I'll be back next week with another episode.